0: If you see the extortion of the poor or the perverse of justice and fairness in the government, do not be astonished by the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher official, and there are higher ones over them. The produce of the land is seized by all of them. Even the king is served by the fields. The one who loves money will never be satisfied with money. He who loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. This is futile. When someone's prosperity increases, those who consume it will also increase. So what does its owner gain except that he gets to see with his eyes? The sleep of the laborer is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the wealth of the rich will not allow him to sleep. Here is a misfortune on earth that I have seen. Wealth hoarded by its owner is his own misery. Then that wealth was lost through bad luck. Although he fathered a son, he has nothing left to give him. Just as he came forth from his mother's womb, naked he will return as he came. And he will take nothing in his hand that he may carry away from his toil. This is another misfortune. Just as he came, so he will go. What did he gain from toiling for the wind? Surely he ate in darkness every day of his life and suffered greatly with sickness and anger. I have seen personally what is the only beneficial and appropriate course of action for people, to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all their hard work on earth. During the few days of their life that God has given them, for this is their reward. To every man whom God has given wealth and possessions, he has also given him ability to eat from them and to receive his reward and to find enjoyment in his toil. These things are a gift from God. For he does not think much about fleeting days of his life because God keeps him preoccupied with the joy he derives from his activity. Here is another misfortune that I have seen on earth, and it weighs heavily on people. God gives a man riches, property and wealth, so that he lacks nothing that his heart desires. Yet God does not enable him to enjoy the fruit of his labor. Instead, someone else enjoys it. This is fruitless and a grave misfortune. Even if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, even if he lives a long, long time, but cannot enjoy his prosperity. Even if he has even if he were to live forever, I would say, a stillborn child is better off than he is. Though the stillborn child came into the world for no reason and departed into darkness, though its name is shrouded in darkness, though though it never saw the light of day, nor knew anything, yet it has more rest than that man. If he should live a thousand years twice, yet does not enjoy his prosperity, for both of them die. All man's labor is for nothing more than to fill his stomach, yet his appetite is never satisfied. So what advantage does a wise man have over a fool? And what advantage does a pauper gain by knowing how to survive? It is better to be content with what the eyes can see than one's heart always to crave more. This continual longing is futile like the chasing of the wind. Whatever has happened was foreordained, and whatever happens to a person was also foreknown. It is useless for him to to argue with God about his fate, because God is more powerful than he is. The more one argues with words, the less he accomplishes. How does that benefit him? For no one knows what is best for a person during his life, during the days of, his, for during the few days of his fleeting life, for they pass away like a shadow. Nor can anyone tell him what the future will hold for him on earth.
1: So uh, Solomon did not title Ecclesiastes "Happy Thoughts" by Solomon. Um, it's it's really his notes from his personal journal of looking for the good life in every different avenue and area of life he he explored all the different things that the world says are good and he said is is the good life found here is purpose in life found here can i find meaning here can i do it here and he couldn't find meaning or purpose or significance in, in any of those avenues, in any of those paths. And so he, he, he journaled and then those notes were compiled into the book of Ecclesiastes. And it can be rather sour at times because there is no good life apart from God. And that's ultimately the, the purpose uh, or the, the conclusion that he finds. But in this passage today, it's kind of a tough passage. Uh, and so let, let me set it up this way. Ever watch those uh, decluttering shows on HGTV? You know, like where somebody's a hoarder or, or they got so much stuff and, and their house is a total mess and then they bring in some organization expert and uh, that person will help them uh, sort things out and they, they start going through stuff. And they're like, oh, what about this shirt? Do you really need this shirt? And, no, you haven't worn it in 15 years, so let's throw it away, but it's my favorite shirt. Oh, you know, and, um And over time, they kind of purge and get rid of all this stuff that's unnecessary junk cluttering up their life. Um, And by the end of the show, everybody's happy. And six weeks later, I'm sure those people's house is a mess again. But um, that's just real, real life, right? So that decluttering thing, I think that's what God wants to do in our hearts today with this passage. It's a tough passage. And when I was reading this and studying for it this week, God poked me in the eye. And uh, it, it wasn't very comfortable. <laughs> but when he pulled his finger out of my eye, a plank went with it. And so if God, if God pokes you in the heart a little bit with this passage this morning, don't put your defenses up. Just let God do his work. Let him come into that back room in your heart and start cleaning things out. And if he throws out your favorite shirt, trust him that, that you didn't really need that. Right, So uh, in my preaching, uh, I typically try to avoid politics as much as possible. And that's not because I'm afraid to teach what God's word says, but it's because I think that, that there are so many more important things in life than who's in the White House. There's so many more important things in the world than which party is in power at the moment, right? Uh, a while back, I heard an interview with Pastor Samuel Rodriguez Uh, who's president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, and he pastors a church in Los Angeles. It's not the easiest city in the country in which to be a conservative Christian pastor. But Pastor Rodriguez said in an interview with Marvin Olasky, he said, I constantly tell my church, we can't be married to the agenda of the donkey or the elephant. We must exclusively be married to the agenda of the lamb. And I absolutely agree with him which is why I generally try to avoid talking about donkeys and elephants. I'd much rather talk about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. It's always about him. So that's true, but sometimes, sometimes it's unavoidable. Sometimes God's word wades right into the middle of the political fray and starts throwing punches, and everybody gets hit. And that's what this passage does this morning. God's going to poke us in the eye just a little bit, but it's to remove the plank that needs to be pulled out. So we're going to look into this passage. It's way too much for me to tackle all in one sermon. We could do a whole series just through this one text in Ecclesiastes. But what we're going to do is we're going to do a flyover uh, view of the passage, and we're going to look at the problem, the cause of the problem, and the solution to the problem. The problem, the cause, and the solution. The problem that Solomon identifies in this passage is economic oppression. And not just economic oppression, systemic economic oppression, injustice, and inequality. The system is rigged for economic oppression of the poor. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. He says, If you see the extortion of the poor... Or the perversion of justice and fairness in the government, do not be astonished by the matter. Do we see that in the government, the perversion of justice and fairness, the extortion of the poor? Of course we do. He says, don't be surprised by that. Don't be amazed by that. For the high official is watched by a higher official, and there are higher ones over them. The produce of the land is seized by all of them, even the king is served by the fields. There's all this bureaucracy and oversight in government and all of it is about keeping the people in power who are currently in power. There's no concern for the poor. There's no concern for justice or fairness or equality. He says, no, we should not be surprised by this. The government system is rigged so that the wealthy and powerful stay wealthy and powerful. And if we're surprised by that, we haven't been watching the world. That was true 3,000 years ago and it's true today. The problem is, is economic oppression, injustice, and inequality. Now, in our society, this whole idea of systemic oppression is very divisive extremely divisive. In fact, if you say the word systemic, some people will hate you because you use that word. Other people will say, "I'm mad at you because it's taken you this long to say that word." Right? So you, there's no win. There's a lose-lose. But systemic oppression and and injustice and inequality, these are hot button divisive issues. On one side you have the liberals that say the problem is capitalism. The economic system of capitalism creates oppression because it favors the rich at the expense of the poor. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. So we need to redistribute the wealth. That's what the liberals say. And the conservatives on the other side just as passionately say, no, 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 no. The problem is not capitalism. The problem is socialism. It's an economic system that creates oppression because it tramples on our freedom. It takes the wealth away from the people who've worked hard for it and it gives it to the people who haven't earned it. And it's not right. And instead of benefiting the society, uh, socialism depresses the economy. So instead of all of us prospering, all of us are just more poor. And so the liberals say capitalism's the issue. Conservatives say, no, socialism's the problem. Who's right? How do we know who's right? Well, what does the Bible say? That's what we're going to look at. Solomon said systemic oppression is a real thing. But what's the cause of the problem? What, what is the problem? Now, we'll be transparent. 3,000 years ago when Solomon lived... Neither socialism nor capitalism as economic systems that we know today existed. Neither of them existed. So Solomon's not writing specifically about socialism or capitalism or communism or anything else. But do you know what did exist in Solomon's day? Extortion of the poor, perversion of justice and fairness in the government. Those things existed. In fact, if you look throughout human history, in every single human society that has ever been, 100% of all human societies, every form of government that's ever been tried, every form of economic strategy or system that has ever been tried, in every culture, in every period of history in which human societies have lived, there has always been of uh, the oppression of the poor, injustice, and inequality, of the time, no matter what economic system is in place, no matter what the form of government is, no matter when in history it appears, there has always been these things that existed. So, what if the problem isn't caused by an economic system? What if the problem is something deeper? What if the root of the problem isn't what form of government you're using or what your economic strategy is? What if the the root of the problem is actually much, much deeper and more fundamental than that? That's the conclusion Solomon comes to. See, the, the cause of the problem of economic oppression isn't capitalism or socialism. The cause of the problem is materialism. That's what he identifies. It's not the economic system that you're using. It's the love of money. See, capitalism and socialism both define the good life as ever-increasing material wealth and prosperity. They both understand the meaning of life the same way. Here's what the good life is. More money, more wealth, More prosperity, more things, more stuff. That's what the good life is. Now the capitalists say the way to get that good life is to unleash the free market and let people work hard and earn a reward for their labor. And if the poor don't work, then they're poor. And the socialists say, uh, wait a minute. The, the way to achieve that wealth and prosperity is to, t- to take the wealth from people who've had better opportunities and redistribute it to those who didn't have the same opportunities growing up. And that way, everybody prospers together. But they're both defining the good life in terms of material wealth and prosperity. And that is the fundamental problem. That is the issue at hand. Because materialism as a definition of the good life, is bankrupt. It cannot deliver what it promises. It cannot deliver the satisfaction. It cannot deliver the fulfillment. It cannot deliver the happiness that it promises to deliver, no matter what the commercials tell you. That new razor is not going to make you happier. It's just not materialism as a definition of the good life is bankrupt. Here's how Solomon shows that. Chapter 5, verse 10, the one who loves money will never be satisfied with money. He who loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. This is also futile. If your boss came to you today and said, I'm going to give you a raise and I'm going to let you decide how much the raise is, how much is enough, I don't know, $2 an hour, $10 an hour, $20 an hour, $100. If if money's no object and I can decide however much I want, when do I stop? The one who loves money is never satisfied with money. It doesn't give you the satisfaction you want. The more you have, the more you want. That's how it works. He goes on in verse 11 to say, when someone's prosperity increases, those who consume it also increase. So what does its owner gain except that he gets to see it with his eyes? The more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more others want what you have. It's just the way it works in life. Materialism cannot give you that lasting satisfaction because you want it, others want it, you fight about it. That's just the reality that it is. And furthermore, Solomon says, no matter how much you hoard up for yourself, in the end, it's meaningless because you can't take it with you when you die. See chapter five, verse 15. Just as he came forth from his mother's womb, naked he will return as he came, and he will take nothing in his hand that he may carry away from his toil. This is another misfortune. Just as he came, so he will go. What did he gain from toiling for the wind? You came into this world naked with nothing. You will leave this world naked with nothing. So you can hoard up all the money you want, but in the end, what is it going to accomplish? Nothing, nothing. Because we can't take it with us. We die. It's funny, uh, Sue Baker sent me this picture this week. (laughs) You can't take it with you. There's lots of stuff in that U-Haul. It's going to go in the ground. And that's where it's going to stay. Materialism, as a definition of the good life, is bankrupt. It can't deliver what it promises to deliver That's why Solomon comes to this conclusion in chapter 6, verse 9. It is better to be content with what the eyes can see than for one's heart always to crave more. This continual longing is futile, like chasing the wind. Enjoy what you have now instead of wasting your life coveting what you don't have now. Be thankful for what God has given you today rather than being disgruntled for what God hasn't yet given you and may never will. If you want enjoyment and meaning in life, be thankful, be content with what you have now. Here's the thing. If you can't learn to be content with a little, you'll never be able to be content with much. If you can't learn to be content with $100, you won't be able to be content with $10,000. $10,000. You've got to learn contentment with a little before you're able to be content with much. Enjoy what you have now. Be content with what your eyes can see rather than coveting what you don't have. Materialism as a definition of the good life is bankrupt. And as long as we define the good life in terms of materialistic wealth and prosperity, of course, there will always be systemic oppression, injustice, and inequality. No matter what economic system is in place, we're going to have extortion of the poor. We're going to have the perversion of justice and fairness because the problem isn't the economic system. The problem is our hearts. It's materialism. It's not an economic problem. It's an idolatry problem. We worship money. We worship money. And the Apostle Paul said, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. As long as we are putting money on the throne of our hearts, all kinds of evils are going to result. doesn't matter what economic system is in place. There will be all kinds of evil because it's not an economic problem. It's an idolatry problem. The problem is economic oppression. The cause of the problem is materialism. So what is the solution? The solution of the problem is quite simple. Live the way of Jesus. Now, if you thought that I was going to say anything different, you haven't been listening to this series. <laughs> I'm a one-trick pony, right? It's always, all, it's always only ever all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is ultimately the solution to every problem. See, when Jesus came, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus came preaching the gospel, and here's what he said. The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe this good news. Turn around from the way you were believing and thinking and living and start living in the kingdom of God. This is the gospel message. Jesus came to make the kingdom of God available to us. And in God's kingdom, God has an economy and God's economy doesn't work like our economy. God's economy is not the same as our economy. God's systems are not the same as our systems. And Jesus says, look, if you want to escape the the evil that is in the world, repent, turn away from it, and live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This is the good life. This is where it leads. Jesus had a lot of things to teach us, particularly about materialism. He talks about money an awful lot. But let's turn over in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus was teaching about the idolatry of materialism, and he said this, Do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and devouring insect destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and devouring insect do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is God's economy. Don't hoard up for yourselves materialistic wealth and prosperity. No, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, eternal treasures that will never perish, spoil, or fade. What is treasure in heaven? What what does that mean? What are spiritual treasures? I love this quote by New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg. He says, Spiritual treasures should be defined as broadly as possible, as everything that believers can take with them beyond the grave. You can't take your 401k. You can't take your fancy cars. You can't take your big house. You can't take your name brand clothes. You can't take any of that stuff beyond the grave. What can you take beyond the grave? Here's some examples he gives holiness of character. We're going to live forever. So the character that God is forming in us now will endure beyond the grave. Obedience to all of God's commandments. Souls won for Christ. Disciples nurtured in the faith. These are treasures in heaven. He goes on to say, storing up treasures focuses particularly on the compassionate use of material resources to meet others' physical and spiritual needs in keeping with the priorities of God's kingdom. In other words, God has blessed us with material wealth so that we can bless others who don't have as much as we do. That's how God's economy works. That's the storing up of treasures in heaven. How do we do that? How do we accumulate treasures in heaven? Let's let Jesus teach us. Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, Jesus is talking to a rich young ruler and he says, If you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Luke chapter 12, Verse 32, Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father is well pleased to give you the kingdom. Pause for a moment right there. Your heavenly Father is delighted and excited and well pleased to give you all of the riches of the kingdom of heaven. All of us, all of us have the kingdom. We don't need to fight and scrap for material wealth right now our father is well pleased to give us the kingdom then he said in verse 33 sell your possessions and give to the poor provide for yourselves purses that do not wear out a treasure in heaven that never decreases where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also sounds like that was a recurring theme in Jesus teaching The Apostle Paul applied the way of Christ this way in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love the way it translates that. See, there is a life that is not truly life, it's the materialistic life. It's the life that's, that, that capitalism and socialism both promise to give a life defined by ever-increasing material wealth and prosperity, and that's not really living. But there's another way of life that is true life, that is real life, that is eternal life, that is the good life, and that is life the way of Jesus. That's valuing the treasures in heaven more than we value the treasures on earth. It's not a sin to have wealth and abundance, but it's a sin to worship our wealth and abundance and to make that the ultimate aim and goal in life. Life that is truly life is a life that is generous, rich not only in material resources, but rich especially in good deeds, generous and willing to share with those in need. That's the good life. That is the solution to the problem of materialism that causes economic oppression, no matter what the system in place is. Let me close with this story I've talked a lot about mission trips that I've taken. Uh, Several years ago, I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip. And the people that I was working with uh, on this mission trip, the people that lived there were so poor, I'd never seen anybody that lived in poverty the way they did. I don't have a big fancy house. We live in a modest ranch uh, here a few blocks from the church. But for many of these people, the home that they lived in, their entire house could fit in my living room. Most of them didn't have any. They slept on dirt floors. And yet they were happy. They were fulfilled. They had faith. They had intimacy with God. They had a dependence on God. And I went down there and I was astonished at their faith. And I I remember as I was there and as as I I was there for 12 days and over the course of that 12 days, a lot of things changed in my heart. And I remember thinking, who is really blessed? Am I the one who's really blessed because I have two cars sitting in my driveway? Because I have more clothes than I can wear? Because I have a flat screen TV hanging on my wall? Or are these people blessed who have a faith that I can only dream of, who have a trust in God that I could never even comprehend, who have a dependence on God that I've never experienced, who have an intimacy with the Father that I don't have? Like, who's the one that's really blessed here? And I came down thinking, oh, in my arrogant way, oh, I'm going to come and teach these people about how to follow Jesus. And what I learned over the course of that 12 days was that they needed to teach me how to follow Jesus. I didn't have anything on them. Their faith so far surpassed mine, it was ridiculous to me. I came down thinking that I was going to be the teacher, and, and, and what I realized is I came down to be the student to learn what real faith is. See, I've never lived in a condition where if God did not give me food today, I would go hungry. Anytime I'm hungry, I just go to my pantry and open up something or make myself a sandwich or I run to Culver's. I've never lived in in a situation where if if God didn't give me clothing, I wouldn't have clothes to wear. I've got so many clothes, I need to get rid of them. I need to make a trip to St. Vinny's. I've never lived in a situation where if I got sick and God didn't heal me, I could die. Because when I get sick, I go down to the clinic and I get medical treatment and care. And these people, if God didn't give them food today, they wouldn't eat. If God didn't heal them from their sickness, they could die. If God didn't provide clothing for them, they would have to go around naked. And yet their faith was so strong. Their dependence on the Lord and their nearness to him blew me away, and their happiness was unbelievable. They were the ones that were blessed. And I began thinking, maybe all of my stuff isn't as much of a blessing as I think it is because it distracts me from God and from following Christ. Maybe I need to learn something from these people who have nothing, but they have Jesus, and that's all they need. Let me close with a prayer and we'll sing and respond to god's word father thank you for your word thank you for even the sometimes depressing thoughts of solomon recorded in ecclesiastes compiled for us today Uh, lord his thoughts are hard but your word is true and so as you poke around in our hearts as you stick your finger in our eye a little bit pull out the planks, pull out the stuff that we don't need anymore, declutter our lives so that we can be filled with Christ, so that you can live in us and we can find our good life in you so that we can live the way of Jesus and follow you and in so doing, find true meaning and satisfaction in life. We love you. In Jesus' name.